This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher's cell therapy processing instruments are designed to help customers transition from process development to commercial manufacturing, utilized as standalone devices or integrated as part of a closed modular process. Thermo Fisher Scientific recommends Gibco CTS DynaSelect Magnetic Separation System, which is a next-gen cell isolation and activation instrument. Gibco CTS Xenon Electroporation System allows customers full control to optimize for a variety of cell types and payloads. And Gibco CTS Rotea Counterflow Centrifugation System is a closed cell processing system supporting a broad range of protocols for cell separation, washing, and concentration. Customers can rely on and streamline their drug development process with Applied Biosystems Qualtrac qPCR and dPCR quality control tools for robust and reliable genetic analysis across various phases of drug development, supported by relevant, compliant documentation. listeners and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene the podcast. I'm your host Aaron Harris and my guest for this episode is Robert Sexton, VP Program and Alliance Leadership at Mustang Bio, a clinical stage company with therapeutic modalities including hematologic CAR-Ts, ex vivo gene therapies and more which we will get into. But before we do, Robert, welcome to Cell and Gene the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's really really great to be part of this. Good, good. Well, all right. I want to jump right in by asking you to please briefly explain Mustang Bio as well as your pipeline. What are you um, working on as we speak? Sure. Um, so as you alluded to, Mustang is a clinical stage biotech. Um, what that means that Mustang is not a, a research and development firm. Mustang works with strategic alliances and, and partnerships. So hence the alliance leadership component of my, my job title. Um, so as you look, if you were to go to the Mustang Bio website and you look at our pipeline, you will see a number of, of different uh, product classes like you, you alluded to, where we have the hematologic CAR-Ts, we have the ex vivo gene therapies, we have a really cool um, combination CAR-T program, which is, is a uh, CAR-T in combination with an oncolytic virus treatment. Um, and then you can also see that there is a um, up and coming in vivo CAR-T um, mm -hmm. program that we are looking to add on. Um, and that all comes through, through, uh, collaborations with, with academic, uh, research centers. So each one of those programs that I, um, named is in collaboration with a, um, a, a, a really well-respected, uh, academic institution. I want to talk a little bit about your role, VP program and Alliance leadership. So talk to us about one, what that role is what your responsibilities are and within that role, what are your top concerns, priorities, challenges for this 2023? Sure. Um, so the, the role, um, I guess kind of starting with, with the, the me focused part of it. So in, in my role, right. I'm, I am part of Mustang's leadership team, right. My, I report into the, the CEO directly, um, and, and my role is to, to play kind of a, a strategic a moderator in the organization. So um, we have, as I discussed, we have several, several programs that are, are in early development. Um, and all of the activities that come along with that 
are underway within each of those programs. And so for, for any organization, um, and especially in, in the small, um, the smaller biotech, the startups where um, resources are, are at a premium, this role is really about linking that organizational strategy to um, the, you know, the business unit execution. So we have a team of program leaders that, that are um, within my, my business unit um, and they own the, the channel in line like program management. So like we talked about the 106 program, for example, I have a program leader that owns that. He coordinates with the, um, the different business functions and, and develops that kind of that master plan for, you know, what is the commercialization road for this, for this uh, program. So as, as each, as individuals, my, my program leaders might be managing one or two or, or so programs, depending on the size and scope. Um, and, and their job is to partner with the business units. They're, they're helping to prioritize um, resources. They're helping to, you know, do like the sequencing of activities looking at uh, cross-functional interdependencies, right? So, you know, what is clinical doing versus regulatory versus the the manufacturing and technology teams and how do they ladder up to each other and um, really making sure that people are aware of, you know, for example, clinical wants to open a trial and before they can open the trial, here's their dependencies and then coordinating with those associated business functions to ensure that we optimize that sequencing of activities along the way. So that, that's kind of one component of it. And, and then the secondary component of it is, like I said, connecting the broader business. So there's the portfolio aspect of it where we have a, a number of programs that are up, they're, they're, they're developing, they're starting to advance. Um, some of them are gaining momentum. So as they gain momentum, they become a little bit more time intensive, a little bit more resource intensive. And our, our organization, while we're managing that inline program, we're also looking across programs. And so, you know, if priorities change or um, we, as any development program will tell you, new information is coming in almost daily or weekly. So as new information is coming in, we're synthesizing that information. We're evaluating, you know, what um, are our best options as it relates to resource deployment or as it relates to the strategies around each of those programs. And so you kind of have this strategy within the program and then strategy across programs. And then all of that has to connect back to, you know, the financial management aspects, right? Um, what's our daily burn rate as it relates to each of those programs. So, um, and that's kind of the, the program leadership arm. And then each one of our programs is conducted in unison with, a, with an academic partner. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we also have that tie-in, right? So you have this, this agreement that's in place between um, our organization and, and the academic partner, and they have commitments, we have commitments. And so those commitments have to ladder into the, the master development plan. Um, so it becomes, um, it's, it's like an orchestra, right? Everybody's gotta play their role and you have the, the program leadership team is, is working as the conductor um, our job is not to tell any of our business functions how to do their job. Mm -hmm. We may ask probing questions. We may facilitate conversations, um, driving toward um, the result of ensuring that each of our partners is aligned with that master strategy of the program and that their activities are working in alignment with, with those core objectives. Good. Okay. And so this role is exceptionally 
important and needed within the organization for all the reasons you just explained. Um, for the clinical stage biotechs who are listening to this, talk them through why it, it is in fact a, a much needed role for their organization. Sure. Um, I think I think the simplest way um, to kind of lay this out is 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 to think about the the development of a product is you know it's a multi year journey, right? It mm-hmm. it is not. Um, it is not something like like a small project that you know has a two to three month cycle and you know a finite resource utilization and um, a very clear defined boundary, right? These these programs are are very organic. They're they're like you know no pun intended, but they're kind of living creatures on their own. Um, aside from being you know the cell therapy, but what what happens right is is if you start. And you don't have a clear understanding of what that endpoint is for your program and what those clear endpoints and those clear deliverables are. If you don't have a focus on that and you're not watching it, you set out on that that development journey, which is you know three to five years, depending on on the, the d- dynamics that you're dealing with. Um, it's very easy to go off target, right? So I mean, you you hear the old you know adages with you know for example like with airlines and travel right if if the airplane is pointed by one degree off from its target you know when you get three thousand miles away they they end up you know you know two thousand miles north or south of their target and i think the same that that same kind of thinking applies here to the to program management so there's this constant you know daily focus of of looking at and evaluating tactically where are we what are we doing are we doing the right things but then somebody has to kind of come up you know get above the 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 treetop so to speak and look and look out over the horizon and say hey you know we're still on track for for that that trajectory and i think that's the importance of the role um so whether you have a single program in development or you have multiple programs in development um, you still have that com- the complexity of aligning whether if you're you know a brand new startup and you have ten people in your organization or you're a little bit more of an established firm and you have you know hundred or two hundred people in your organization that's a lot of alignment right and ensuring that those people are operating from the same mindset they have a shared vision of kind of where are we going they have a shared understanding of how do we get there in unison. Right. Because if if, you know, one of your groups runs out ahead, like say, I'm say my clinical team goes out and they do all the work they need to do. And, you know, the, the regulatory team is not working at that same pace. That's that's just as bad as nobody doing anything. Right. Because you, you want the program to move along at a, at a nice, steady, consistent pace. So so the importance really comes down to, you know, having that that group in place that's going to guide your organization through the the turbulence of of the drug development process and i think everybody that is working in the cell and gene industry also has the added challenge of there's a number of areas where there's not a lot of clarity around what might some of the requirements be to advance in a certain area or you know what is the right timeline to do things right um in certain certain business functions you know, there's there's a prescriptive approach, you know, that's handed down through, you know, the years that, that pharma's been up and running. And now everybody that's moving into the cell and gene product classes is, is having to reevaluate those tried and true um, operating norms. So I think that's the value of, of having these roles. It, it, it keeps the organization on task. 
and um, it connects that the senior leadership conversations to you know the the business unit level conversations and then hopefully right it, it provides some some good um, governance and good checkpoints for your programs as well to ensure um, accurate and rapid decision making yeah sure and I would that's a good segue into my next question because I was imagine that you know rapid quality decision making is certainly plays a part and during your career so you've spent time at Novartis Santa Fe Legend Biotech now you're at obviously Mustang Bio you know how not to mention that your responsibilities have included quality operations order management how have those roles prepared you for what we know to be a very fast-paced cell and gene therapy world so how does that past experience shape what you're doing now in your current role with Mustang Bio? Um, it, it's, it's, um, I would love to say that I had a real clear plan that I was going to be managing these, these cell and gene therapy programs. But, you know, when I started my career, I actually came out into, um, you know, biologics manufacturing and, and worked with, you know, protein purification and protein sciences. And, um, I had some really good mentors when I worked at, at, at in that role. And, you know, they they had these really dynamic backgrounds and I was like, yeah, I want to be like those guys. And they were general managers of, of, of the startup that I worked at. It was called Influence Systems. And I thought, you know, I really would like to be a general manager. And they gave me some really good advice. And they said, listen, you need to know the, the organization from start to finish, get your manufacturing experience, get some good experience in clinical get some good experience in commercial so that you can you can speak on the whole continuum of the you know the, the pharmaceutical uh, model so so that's what I did um, and so as you've seen from my resume you know I've taken the opportunities to move um, you know across business functions and where I could find those transferable skills and I could meet with people and say hey you know I'm currently doing this job but I'd really like to learn this function. And I was able to facilitate those those transitions in my career. So I've ended up having some some leadership roles in clinical development and quality and commercial and 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 then you know ultimately leading into um, the CAR T space and the cell and gene therapy space. And and what's been really um, helpful to me is that I learned the languages of clinical. I learned the languages of manufacturing. And I spent you know I didn't spend one or two years. Like I spent you know, five or six years in manufacturing. I spent like five or six years in the clinical and quality side. And then I'm approaching, you know, over 10 years now in, in the commercial space. And, you know, so um, having that that breadth of, of experience now in, in this cell and gene world, the silos that have existed traditionally across clinical and manufacturing and, and commercial are coming down. They have to come down, you know? So when when you know i was part of the launch team at kimraya right first first car t um we found ourselves you know and i was on the commercial organization i worked with you know the order management and market access programs there and patient support programs and i'm sitting in a room with supply chain people and we're looking at each other saying hey why are we why are we here um and our leadership you know made it very clear hey you guys have to work together um and as soon as we started getting into um, the day-to-day -day management and preparing for, for the launch of that program, it was really clear that, you know, not only did we have to work together, but we had, you know, our people had to sit together in certain, in certain areas. So understanding, you know, the nuances of product release all of a sudden became relevant to commercial people. 
right? And for supply chain people, concepts of customer experience and, and you know, customer satisfaction became relevant, right? For the first time in history, pharma has a point of sale approach that, you know, they've only had drop, mostly like drop distribution or cold chain distribution. So they could produce, they could put it in a warehouse and then they could have like a specialty pharmacy distributed or have a wholesaler distributed. And now we're, you know, we're selling directly to, to the, the treatment center. So as that, as that evolves, the, the need to understand each other's languages has become, it's become, you know, a, like almost like a table stakes requirement at this point. So it's been very helpful for me where, you know, especially when, when launching the, the Carvicti program, working with, with Mustang or working with Legend and working with um, Jansen, um, there was a lot of people coming in from two organizations and being in the commercial operations function and, and having, you know, that, that responsibility of treatment center operations and, you know, the, the first uh, point of sale, um, whether it be the digital components or the people components, um, I was able to, you know, partner with our manufacturing and supply chain teams and our quality people and help translate a lot of, you know, the, the requests that they, they had to my commercial leadership and explain, well, this, this is why they're asking for it. This is why it's important. Um, because for commercial people, it's, it's a first time exposure for a lot of them. So when you talk about, Hey, this, this product in order to be released had to meet these criteria, it doesn't meet these criteria. So we can't release it like this. Most commercial people were saying, well, I don't understand. Did they, did they make the product or not? And so, you know, walking them through that. So, um, that's been my journey here. And so those, those past skills are really helping. And then in my transition now to Mustang, where my role has, you know, end-to-end -end oversight and I'm working with folks in, in the earliest stages of development, um, I'm having conversations where my commercial experience is highly relevant because they're thinking about developing the, the program for, for commercialization and I'm able to sit with them and, and you know, for, for example, you know, whether it's the, the ex vivo gene therapy or it's the, the CAR T's, they, they have to get from our facility to um, our patients, right? And the patient's material has to get from, from the treatment centers to us. And then um, the expectations that are evolving in the market from the treatment centers they're all relevant to how you develop your product. So understanding um, those those expectations, it's it, it's almost like part of your selling proposition. So if you can develop those dimensions of your selling proposition into your into your program, your I think your likelihood for success as it relates to not only the clinical aspects of your program, but the in market performance and the adoption of your of your product, I think that that success rate or that probability of success goes up because you've been able to connect with your market at a, in a deeper way earlier in development. So, um, and my, my team at, at Mustang, we're early phase one. And I'm, I was actually pretty surprised at how relevant my experience is, even at this early stage in, in the game. Um, so it's, so it's serving me well. Um, I'm, I'm really happy I did it. Like I said, I wish I could have said, Hey, it was all intentional. I planned it and I knew I was going to be sitting here and, you know, 20 years later, but, um, the, the takeaway message of, 
of kind of where I'm coming from. And, and this is for any of, of the, you know, I think the last I heard, there's some 900 startups in the cell and gene space at this point. Um, and I can imagine that most of them are, you know, early in their, their, their organizational life cycle. And, you know, from a talent perspective, I can, I can also imagine that there's not an abundance of people that have worked on, you know, one cell and gene product, let alone multiple cell and gene products. So my thinking is that, you know, creating that understanding that um, traditionally those business functions don't partner too deeply, changing that in your, in your initiation of your organization, I think would be, you know, really beneficial to, to ensure that the people that are running manufacturing and clinical and um, regulatory and all those um, groups understand that it is, it is like an arm in arm exercise from, you know, preclinical all the way through to, you know, your phase four commercialization. So, um, yeah, so, so short answer is it's, it's, it's working well because I, I know enough of the language of each area to, to help translate and, and, you know, forge connections between folks that maybe are not understanding each other, um, fully. Yeah. I think that's a, and a critical component to having any successful therapy come to market and just, you know, pushing any biotech company forward. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about CMC. So, I mean, you mentioned, yes, the company has to work together cohesively, manufacturing obviously included. Um, and you talked a little bit about, hey, there were silos, there are silos, they're, they're starting to come down though. Um, talk us through a little bit of that. What what would you say are still the challenges facing us? What's getting a little bit better? Um, and what would you like to see truly have been overcome in the next few years? Oh, so CMC's, you know, pretty large, a large topic, right? Where you talk about, you know, CMC, you know, has responsibility for, you know, like your, it's like your manufacturing recipe essentially, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of components to it. Um, I think, um, for any organization, I think the, I think the work for developing, you know, whether it's developing your assays or developing your, your starting material or vector strategies or, or what, what have you, as it relates to your product, um, those are, they're critically important. And then there's not a lot of clarity about, um, you know, how to interpret the requirements. I think there's, there are requirements out there and I think every organization is wrestling with, okay, well, how do I overlay these requirements to my particular program? And then, um, you know, can, can somebody figure out how to generate more time? <laughs> I think if you talk to anybody that's responsible for like, whether it's assay development or vector sourcing or um, even vector development, that would, they would say, I just need you know, tremendous amount more time. And that's, that's, I've seen that like through the whole development program. And so maybe it's not necessarily that they need more time in, in the, the grand scheme of, of the product development, but I think a central theme that I'm seeing is that um, we need to evaluate, you know, a lot of our critical steps in development for the potential to start earlier than what might traditionally be done. And, um, you know, I think that's, I think that's the case with CMC, right? You're dealing with, 
um, these cell and gene therapies, they're new product classes. It's new, it's new for the FDA from a regulatory standpoint. Um, you know, the people that I've worked with in, in my career to this point, you know, most of them have tremendous amounts of experience um, with drug development, assay development, but this, these product classes present new challenges. And so for, for anybody, whether, whether you're, you know, a world-renowned expert or you're just, you know, starting out in industry, you know, if there's not an established kind of rubric around what you're working on, you are in the driver's seat of, of developing that, that rubric and those, those frameworks. So everybody that is, that is working in industry and, and, you know, all of my colleagues and peers that have worked in, you know, the organizations that have fully commercialized a cell or, or gene therapy product, um, they have developed, you know, the industry standards to this point, right? Um, you know, so for the folks at Novartis that that put Kenraya out and, and you know, the Kite Gilead team that, that put Yescarta out um, in the cell, cell space, there was no rubric. They had to create it. Um, Novartis took took risks in their commercialization program because they thought, hey, we need to do what's right for patients. We need to do what's right for um, the medical community. And, you know, they evaluated those risks. And then those risks have turned into industry standards now where, you know, even the regulatory body said, yeah, that was the right thing to do. We agree. And, and those things have been supported. Um, and I'm sure the Kite Gilead team had to do the same. Same. Uh, didn't I didn't work on that program, so I, I wouldn't be able to comment. But um, and I see that at Mustang. I saw it with my team at Janssen and Legend that um, the products are different enough, and then you know the organizational dynamics are different enough that you can't go and say, "Hey, you know, I did this at Novartis, and it's just a nice overlay, and you can you know replicate it." You have all of the internal dynamics of the organization to consider the external dynamics in the market and the regulatory landscape are constantly evolving. So even, even now, as I transition to, to Mustang, the, the strategies and, and the thinking that was relevant, you know, just three, three or four years ago with, with uh, the legend and Jansen program, maybe aren't so relevant anymore because the market has moved and the regulatory landscape has moved. So I think that's the challenge even in CMC is the body of knowledge is continuing to grow and keeping up with that and incorporating that whatever that those new ideologies and new thinking are into your approaches. It's, it's a challenge. It's difficult. Makes sense. Um, one more question before we kind of formally wrap up, um, you know, what is your advice to Selengine, the podcast listeners? So you're talking biotech, biopharma, scientists, researchers, manufacturers, the whole nine. You know, what would you tell them would be um, really good advice when they're planning for future scale up? You know, sort of top top tidbits that you would offer them. Um. Yeah, the I think that's that's a topic in all the conferences I go to. Everybody is is kind of wringing their hands over over how do we scale, um, you know, and it kind of bridging off of my last um, comment, right? Like this, the body of knowledge and and the the status of the industry is it's moving, it's moving fast. Um, so keeping abreast of that, I think, is kind of the that's like table stakes at this point, but. Um, 
this product class for, and this is my personal view, right? I think everything I've said is my personal view, but, but this one in particular is like near and dear to my heart. And it's probably divergent um, from what a lot of people would say, but pharma and biotech are in the business of developing drugs. And they've been in that business since the dawn of, of the industry, the, the cell and gene class and the precision medicine aspect of it brings just in time manufacturing just in time point of sale so all all of a sudden we we transition from that traditional development sales and distribution model to this new current state um their capabilities and and practices that that pharma and biotech haven't had to develop experience in but there's other industries out there that have um, you know, you look at, you know, one, one analogy I love to use when I'm trying to solve problems in this space is, Hey, you know, airline industry moves, you know, thousands of people at each airport every day, you know, and, and as, you know, pharma and biotech, you know, in some of our programs, we're struggling to move, uh, you know, a hundred, hundred patients in a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that that's that's kind of how i look at it is that we're learning new things right and so being open to those new things being able to look at your your current situation with your product and find that overlay that works that helps kind of you have to simplify some of these complex topics and 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 also try to get into the heads of of you know your your patient and and your your physician and your hospital systems that are your customer and be able to understand that they're looking at you saying you have to provide this product you know as part of our our engagement and then they're thinking like hey they're out in the real world they're using their iphones they're you know they're using the new current state of digital technology and then they're looking at at industry saying hey why aren't you guys doing that stuff right why don't i have you know just an app on my phone that like you know i can you know click and scan through stuff or hey let it let it connect to my watch and you know, why isn't it as easy as, as that? Why, why isn't it as easy as scheduling an Uber pickup? Right. Um, so that's, that's, you know, I think the overlay that, that the industry is dealing with, which is, Hey, we're figuring out how to develop these drugs. Then we're figuring out how to distribute these drugs, um, and do it in, you know, near real time. And the industry doesn't have a lot of touch time with that. So I think that's kind of one piece of advice, which is really look outside of industry for, for inspiration, for how to solve these problems. Um, that's been very helpful to me in my career because I certainly don't have, you know, I don't think I have any of the answers at this point after doing it for so long. It just, it feels like even when you feel like you get your hands on something, it, it, it changes quick enough. Um, and then the, the other component is, is flexibility, right? Um, I see a, a lot of, a lot of folks on, on different, um, whether it's in the different com- conventions or seminars that are happening in cell and gene, and they're looking for, for, you know, certainty um, in, in the guidances and certainty in decision-making. And there's, there's a, there's a risk spectrum here to manage. And for every decision, it, there's not a very clear black and white solution. Um, in most cases, it's a, you know, which one is going to be, you know, least risky or highest probability of success. But even then it, it comes with, well, here's, here's the pitfalls. And then in any given situation, you might have two or three options to choose from. And so it's about your trade-offs. And so getting comfortable with making trade-offs, getting comfortable with 
integrating some level of risk into your planning and um, and then being open about that in your conversations with your colleagues and, and saying, hey, I'm really uncomfortable about this, but this appears to be our best path forward. And then, you know, as a team, you got to have the courage to then take that step. And that, that's hard. Um, cell and gene therapy is um, very challenging for for those reasons alone. Um, and uh, that that's my advice is that build in your time, try to do things as early as you can, um, be open to deviating from traditional development models and traditional development practices um, with reason, right? Within reason. And, and I think that's, that's a, you know, always a good test is, is, you know, does this make sense? Is it reasonable? You know, if people are coming up with outlandish plans, there, there's probably a high degree of risk there, but if people are able to, to, you know, innovate um, on a concept. Uh, I think those are worth those are worthwhile considerations as you're charting your course in this. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, at one point here, you mentioned that you, you know, you don't have any of the answers. I respectfully disagree. I think you have a lot of the answers and a lot of really good advice for our listeners. So that was exceptional advice and you know flexibility. Look to other industries for their best of breed. Um, you know, functionality to apply to cell and gene makes perfect sense. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, we've reached the formal end of our discussion. And so I wanted to chat with you a little bit about, you know, we're in 2023. Uh, are you a resolutions person or not? If you are, what's your resolution? And if not, what are you going to be working on? Um, <clears throat> I am not typically um, a resolution person, but I, I do always look to start each new new year. So, you know, come January, I, I kind of reflect on, you know, kind of where am I in my life? Where am I in my career? How are my relationships with my friends and family and my, my colleagues? And um, that's my starting point. And then I kind of set my own personal objectives, right? What are, what are certain things that I want to achieve? And, and I look at it, you know, you know, for my own personal health and well-being, right? What are things that I need to do to improve in in that space and then you know um people people are at the heart of everything we do and um as i've evolved in my career i've really come to understand the importance of of those relationships and building like strong bonds and trust and um so i, I always look to to you know make sure that i'm maintaining old connections right folks folks that i haven't checked in with in a while i try to try to connect with those folks and um and then, you know, you know, trying to be open to, to making new connections. And, um, you know, I, I reach out to people um, as much as I can and just say hi, or if I see something and I encourage people, if you want to reach out to me, um, I'm open to that. And um, I think that's, you know, in in the world that we're in now, right, um, there's, there's social media platforms, but connectivity is different than having the social media platform. And I think that's, that's for me is, is really striving to kind of you know, you know, go above and beyond just just the the initial you know connections that you get through social media, but to to actually learn something about the people that I connect with, and it's hard, but it's something that I try to do. Yeah, meaningful connections, absolutely. Good physical and mental health connections with the you know uh, people who are currently here in life, people you're you meeting in your professional, and personal life, and making meaningful connections. I love it. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think, you know, for now it works, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. 
All right, listeners. Well, that wraps up this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. Thank you so much again to my guest, Mustang Bios, Robert Sexton. Robert, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back and talk to us again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, everyone, check out sellinggene.com to register for our newsletter and tune into the next tune into the next episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.